I thought I'd start with a little bit of humor. Um, yes, this is our last one. We did 16 weeks of this. We're ending with Samuel, but I'm going to start with just a little bit of humor. It's with a quote, and it's from the play that's called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. It says this, Why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? I wonder how many here in this room right now think that there is a God who speaks. There is a God who speaks. But then I wonder how many in this room actually think God speaks to them. God speaks to them personally. That being something we all want. Christian or not, dare I say, even atheists would want a word if there happened to be a God. So what if I told you that yes, God speaks and is speaking and wants to speak to you today, right now? But the problem wasn't with his method or with his volume. The problem was with more if, with our, our, our listening. Now notice I didn't say the problem is with our hearing. I'm intentionally saying, are we listening? And there is a world of difference between the two. In our audio age, which is exactly what we're in, the future is not visual, it is audio. So everything from sermons to podcasts to ASMR, has anybody experienced that? That creepy crap where people whispering in microphones and they're like rubbing feathers on a microphone? It is weird. You're all going to Google it later and it's weird. So ASMR is awful, but there's also voice texting and audiobooks. All of that makes our ability to listen that much more significant. Now, all of, I want to make sure that actually, let me just ground this even more. I want to ground it more practically before we ground it spiritually. But has anybody heard of um, habituation? Anybody heard of habituation? Habituation is, is essentially, let me give an illustration. When most of us moved to Los Angeles, we probably noticed the sounds of LA. The sounds of LA are overbearing. Who remembers the first time they heard like a helicopter overhead when you just moved here and you're like, oh God, is there an escape prisoner? Should we go inside? Remember that? And everybody's like freaking out. But just the overbearing noise of LA, the street noise, the, the, the cars honking, the, the chatter from, the, you know, from inside of a restaurant. So habituation is where the brain acclimates itself to a certain stimulus. So helicopters flying overhead now, and we've all been here for a few years or so on and so forth, and we're just like, well, who cares? Helicopters do not bother us anymore. That is habituation. So then, in contrast, dishabituation is when the brain notice, it notices the absence of normal sound stimuli. It's as if we walked out to you know, in Los Angeles in midnight on Venice Boulevard and it's dead silent. If we did that, we'd all be freaking out going, the apocalypse is happening, something is wrong. That's dishabituation. Therefore, listening is when one pays attention to understanding the sound that they are hearing. We don't want spiritual habituation. Where we're so used to hearing certain channels that they are no longer listened to like preachers, or music, or scripture readings, or an exhortation from a friend. So to take it further, listening is about finding meaning in what is heard. Someone rightly said, hearing is through the ears, but listening is through the mind. 
That is why if you go like on Tinder or eHarmony, everybody says what? I'm a good listener, right? Everybody, let me just clarify. I don't have a Tinder account (laughs) or an eHarmony account, but that everybody understands that thought process. For many people, these activities are one, but the truth is the difference between hearing and listening makes a dynamic difference in our faith. So today, I want to give you a little heads up. I want to answer the questions that can sometimes uh, truncate our faith. That being, does God speak? Does God speak to me personally? And is it audible? Is it audible? And if it is, how do I listen? How do I hear God's voice? And I want to answer all of these questions. I want it to bloom from the soil of a story about a 12-year-old boy about a 12-year-old boy named Samuel. Samuel is the only one that the author of Hebrews puts out of order in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the only one he puts out of order. Everybody else goes chronological. Just to make it easier, since this is the last part of our series, I made a timeline. Ross? Oh, you're over there. Dude, here's a little timeline. This is everybody we covered, but I wanted everybody to sort of get a glimpse of where they fall with one another. So again, last week was David because he put him out of order. The author of Hebrews did. So this is kind of what it looks like. This is the road we've traveled, okay? Samuel is the first child in our series of the men and women of the 16, and we can safely assume he's 12, even though the scriptures doesn't say it because of the, uh, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus. But he is also unique. There's a thing still up there. Keep it up for just a second. Because Samuel is the first prophet named since Moses. He's the first prophet named since Moses. And like most of the other 16, he comes in a time when God's people were at the edge of extinction. Just a little bit of context. I mean, God's people had just settled into the land now some 200 years. This promised land, the land that they entered with great expectations, glorious promises, and a bright future. And for God's people, everything was looking up. And when they entered that promised land, they were building sanctuaries and temples and churches and all these great spiritual things. Like, this is going to be great. This is for you, God. But then as the years past, not only as they got comfortable into the land, they got comfortable with their spirituality. Church, there is nothing, well, there is, but it's one of the highest dangers that we could possibly have as Christians is getting too comfortable with our spirituality. So these priests during this time did what they could, but the people saw little advantage towards worship, towards caring about God. So then, and see if this sounds familiar with Angelino culture, Rather than just abandoning the God of the Bible, this Jewish God, rather than just throwing him by the wayside because they weren't that into him, you know what they did? They just added. They started adding gods to their worship list. See, that's Los Angeles' main sin. It isn't the rejection of Jesus Christ. It is the acceptance of every other Messiah. And if you remember from the last stint of this series, when we went through the book of Judges up there, If you remember, it ends on this horrifying note which says they were all doing what was right in their own eyes. And when you have an entire community of God's people just doing what is right in their own eyes, do you know what God does? A hush falls over him. And that was the start of chapter three. Read with me. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. A.K.A., God is not speaking to you. It is against this backdrop that a boy is born to a barren woman 
whose name is Hannah, and he's also born into a barren culture, a barren society, a barren faith. A barren faith. And if you think about it, like the parents of Superman when on a dying planet, rocket him off to a more consecrated, protected world, we see Hannah do that very same thing with her own child. She gives him over to priests and to temples. This is Hannah, his mother's exact words. As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And then I'm going to jump to verse 28. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and worship the Lord there. Samuel, a child, is God's answer to a dying, decaying faith. For even the priests were petrifying. Look at verse two of chapter three. At that time, Eli, a priest at this time, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. This is both physical and also uh, very metaphorical. Samuel, his, Eli is Samuel's caretaker, and his actual vision and his spiritual sight is growing dim. Now, perhaps there are some in this room right now whose faith has been or is currently decaying or growing dim. Your sight of God and his work, the church fading, a form of habituation where everything blends in, there's nothing definitive. It's all noise and static and darkness. And perhaps if that is you and you're visiting and you're wondering, does this God have anything for me? This is your last ditch effort before Christmas possibly. What does God want to say to you? If that is you this morning, I want to give you something right now. Verse three of chapter three. This is what I want to give you. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Just as the priests were required to keep the lamps burning in the temple every night from evening till morning, it also, again, serves to us right now as a symbolic reminder that exhorts us to remember that God cannot be stopped, that God is breaking in. So for us, for Samuel, for Eli, the silence of God ends this very night in a forgotten temple. It ends. And if you notice, it didn't come with God like coming down and like crashing in and preaching a sermon or singing, we will rock you or some sort of angry prophecy. The silence and darkness will end by God doing what? Whispering a name. God whispers the name. The God who knows us always calls us by name. So verse four of chapter three, then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel. Okay. As beautiful as this is, it's creepy as poop. This is creepy. So here's a little horror movie 101. If your name is being called in the middle of the night down a dark hallway, do not go after it. You're going to die. This is creepy. Call the cops. Run the opposite direction. Okay? But apparently Samuel doesn't get it. And it's beautiful at the same time. But it's really creepy as well. So we're going to break this down today really simple and really slow-like. What I want to do is just peel off all the layers with it, with two main ideas. That's it. God's voice and our listening. That's it. So we're going to start with the ever-mysterious and ever-controversial God's voice. This is going to be so practical. Some of you are going to be bored out of your mind. Some of you are going to be like, yes, whatever. Now, what happened with Samuel is exactly what we started this conversation with, this talk with. It seems as if God speaking to Samuel is 
audible. It seems audible. So then the question for us Christians, it evolves. Because if Samuel heard it, then why don't we get it? If Samuel got it, why don't I get it? Samuel's 12, I'm 34, I'm not hearing that crap. Why don't I get it? Why does God speak audibly sometimes and not other times? Is it because we're not spiritually elite enough? That's our natural go-to is, I don't read my Bible enough. Now, whether this event truly is audible or not, nonetheless, we can still conclude that there are certain events biblically where God does speak audibly. Everything from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 all the way to Jesus' baptism and the New Testament in Matthew chapter 3. So here's the thing. Even though it may seem like everything we read in the Bible was audible, it's not the case. More often than not, it wasn't. We can't fall into the scary trap of thinking that God acted differently with those people than he does with us today. Okay? So when we come across types of moments in the Bible like that, like Exodus 20 or so on and so forth, it is never the norm. Collective church, may we never take exceptional instances and assume that they are the rule. In the Old Testament, we are almost choked with the dramatic ways that God is constantly speaking with people other than audible voice. Everything from dreams, visions, object lessons, thunder, angels, law, history, nature, writing on walls, preachers, prophets, priests. But you notice that audible, and what you will notice from the Bible, is the least of them. But if I could confess that my flesh, even after reading that fast list, still would prefer any of those methods. I would love writing on the wall. I would love a prophet to come in and say, Casey, do this, and be like, yes! I would love it. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. But if you too have that hang-up, then be reminded, as I constantly am, that is from a lack of understanding that we, that I, presently have it far better. Did you know that? Do you believe that? It's like sitting in gold and longing for nickel, like... Even the ending of Hebrews chapter 11 makes this point for us, where it says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And here's what I mean by better. Hebrews chapter 1, if you guys remember, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. We tracking, crackalacking? Jesus Christ is a truer and better audible call. God speaks louder in Christ than any other audible word spoken in the entire Old Testament. Because anything we could possibly need to know about God, ourselves, our past, present, future, our sexuality, our money, our purpose from parenting to marriage is addressed in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Christ and his resurrection is the exclamation point of everything God has to say to you and to me. But now, but now, 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 I think this conjures up questions like, okay, cool. Everything that God wants to say is said through Jesus, his life and his death. Does that mean God is not currently speaking? Does God have nothing else to say beyond Jesus? No, I'm not saying that at all. What this means now 
with present-day voices and opinions from Satan to society to sin to self, is that God, and pay attention, again, I told you, this is a little bit more thicker, but is that God will never ever reveal anything through other means that can conflict with a full full revelation of himself in Christ Jesus. It cannot conflict. So finding our identity and our vocation and performance, conflict. Jesus Christ loosened the regulations of divorce and sexuality. Conflict. There are many roads to heaven. Conflict. Guy Fieri is one cool dude. Conflict. Okay? Christ is the final word where all subsequent revelations must be scrutinized and filtered. It all has to go through the Jesus lens. So then, what is the most common way, or what is those subsequent revelations? What do they look like? What are those with God's voice? Again, this is not sexy at all. We're going to put some people to sleep. But for those who crave to know how to listen or to, to, to where to find his voice, this could change your life. It really could. Because of the good news of Jesus, it ushered in what the Bible calls the new covenant. Again, this has been covered at great length in the book of Hebrews. What the new covenant means is that God and man have greater access to one another than ever before. And one of the biggest fundamentals of the new covenant is it takes external signs of faith and internalizes them. You tracking? Circumcision of the heart. The written law on stone tablets, on the heart. Go somewhere for forgiveness of sin, there's no designation. There's no destination. So how any of this applies to hearing God means that God's more normal method of communication to us is now internal. Internal. God's Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit. And you can find glimpses of this all over the New Testament. Now, this classically has been called, get your notes out, this classically has been called the still small voice. I'm going to ramble off what everybody's called it over the ages. Puritan theology calls this the inner teacher. French theologian John Calvin calls this the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. Modern-day theologians like Dallas Willard describes it as a direct impression on a person's consciousness, usually expressed as a thought, with a certain force and weight occurring in a person's mind. And in the power and presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, he bears that inner testimony. Remember, it's not always just a singular voice, but remember what C.S. Lewis said. Author C.S. Lewis says, I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit guides your decisions from within when you make them with the intention of pleasing God. The error would be to think that he speaks only within, whereas in reality he also speaks through Scripture. Yes, Lord. The church, yes, Lord. Christian friends, yes, Lord. Books, yes, Lord, etc. Now, going through all of this, I do know that all of what I just went over can actually cause more anxiety and despair than encouragement. Because we are fearful that if it's really that quiet and it's really that small of a voice, we might miss it. We might miss it. But notice something from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 6. And the Lord called again. 
Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli, and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Horror movie lesson number two. <laughs> Horror movie lesson number two. You ready? Children are terrifying. If you guys, <laughs> children are terrifying. I'm going to be very honest. The pitter If you don't have children, I'm going to explain this to you. It's going to be such good sexual abstinence. You're going to get, you'll be aware with me. This is going to be it. There's children in the room now. I have to be careful. So pitter patter at night past bedtime in the dark. And you hear little, it's freaky. I feel horrible for Eli right now as Samuel's like, Eli, what did you want? So I ask any parent, they are terrified of their children. Now, I remember sneaking up on their mom and scaring the crap out of their mom. Does everybody do that? Does every naughty mom go, ah? The amount of times I've almost punched my children in the face, because I do these when they're in my face. Actually, I'll just tell you this very quick story. My son, there he is. My son used to like to sleepwalk. So what would happen is my wife and I would be in bed and we would hear this. I'm, I'm not joking. We'd hear. <laughs> He's at the foot of our bed, staring at us with eyes wide open, but passed out completely. And if you said, and I was always terrified, I'd, go, I'd always go, Moses, that's his name, Moses. And you know what he would do every time he'd call his name? He would do this. And he would run out of the room. It's a freaking waking nightmare. So my wife and I would be like, crap, he's running around the house. You just hear him running around the house. We would paper, rock, scissors to see who would go get him because we're both scared out of our minds to get our kid. I'm not going out there. And Moses is just out in the living room doing this. We were terrified. Children are terrifying. And this is what, no wonder like Eli's like, go to sleep again. Stop coming in here. But, Nightmares aside, what did we notice? Nightmares aside, what did we notice? That Samuel doesn't even recognize God's voice. Could this be similar to us here, to our anxiety? Again, what I want us to see, though, is that God continually calls out his name until he is heard. Continually. Do you believe that God wants to be heard by you? Do you believe that? Do you know deep within your disposition that God wants to speak to me? This is where I know there's probably very easy pushback where you go, bull honky. Because if God truly, truly had a word, had a goal, and wanted to be heard, then why doesn't he scream it from the mountaintops? If God really had a word, why doesn't he shout it? Why? Why does God do this whisper game? which makes, it sounds like a Coldplay album, but why is God doing this whispering game, right? I think the answer is this. I think the answer is God's speech patterns indicate how important he considers our faith-filled listening. If God shouted, listening would not be required. Thus nearness A closeness would not be required. Hence, God's hushed tones necessitate that we are still enough to recognize him. 
You have to come close to somebody to hear their whisper. Showcasing that listening first starts with knowing. So God's voice as a whisper is a vehicle for our faith. So we should be grateful for whispers. So if God wants you near, and this is what God wants, clearly he's whispering so Samuel could come near, how are we to respond? What does our listening look like? Point two, in verse eight of chapter three. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am, super scary, for you called me. So again, Samuel is confused. He is doing the right thing the wrong way. Poor little chap. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli catches up to what God's doing. Okay, verse nine. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in the place, and the Lord came and stood. He's calling Al as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. God is really trying to get his attention. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Let's not move past this too quickly. Let us behold this 12-year-old boy's beautiful, beautiful, obedient response. Speak for your servant hears. God's voice in that moment establishes an identity that if I could be so bold, it challenges us. Meaning, I mean, I started the talk by saying all of us want to hear an audible voice from God. But I think in honesty, in the trenches of our heart, we'd actually say, please, God, no. Think like, yeah, I want to hear from God. But if we really thought about it, we'd probably go, I don't want to hear from God. Why? Is it because we know that when God speaks, we must completely do what he asks? Your servant is listening. Your servant is here. Or choose disobedience. God is drawing a line in the sand every time he says Samuel, every time he says Casey, every time he says Sean. He's drawing a line in the sand. Will you or will not you? The choice is ours. It's one thing for a community member or a pastor or a book, etc., to say something. We go, that's optional, not imperative. And we even respond by saying, well, that's your own idea. That's your conviction. We have different translations. Nah, right? So then what if this whole time we were actually, we could actually hear God's voice? What if this entire time we could? But we just didn't like what we were listening to. We just didn't like what we were hearing. So what if this whole time we've been wanting to hear God's voice? No, we're wanting to hear our own voice tell us things that we want to do. God wants the posture of Samuel for all of us as Samuel offers himself up. Friends, is this not hearty faith? Before Samuel knew why or what was asked of him or how or when or where, he literally signs over a complete obedience order. Oh, whatever you want. He has no idea what God is about to ask him. He goes, whatever you want. Again, 12-year-old little boy. You know what this means for Samuel and what it should mean for us? That God is more real than my needs. But what about X, Y, and Z? I got to know when. I have some stuff I got to do. I can't make this happen. Whatever you want. Your call, your words, your voice, your want are more real than my own needs. 
And if we believe that, then how does that affect your wallet, my wallet? How does that affect your, sex, your sexuality? How does that affect your singleness? Samuel, this whole time, has been joining his 12-year-old self with some pretty big biblical figures by continually saying, here I am. Abraham and Moses and Jacob in the classic Isaiah 6 format. In Jewish culture, those three words are considered to be dangerous because it is a way of expressing total readiness. It is offering complete availability. Do not say, here I am, unless we are ready to faithfully act upon it. Now, because there are no playbooks on how to hear God, and there are no techniques, there are no spells I could give you, as much as I wish I could just say, paint your fingernails blue and sacrifice a turtle, and you'll hear God. Like, I wish I could give you something. What we can do, though, is highlight sound, sound wisdom to better position ourselves to hear God. And this sound wisdom comes from an old decaying priest. Look at Eli's instructions. Verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Notice, Samuel needs community to speak into his life to recognize God's voice. Samuel needs community to recognize God's voice. I had to modernize that we need each other. We need the church to recognize when God is speaking. That's why public corporate prayer meetings are radically important. Okay? So we see two things from Eli's, and this is very practical, two things we see from Eli's listening requirements. It is availability and it is attention. Essentially, Eli just told Samuel, go be available and go pay attention. Give him your full attention. Your full attention. There's something we really want. Full attention of the other person we're talking to. How bothersome is it when you're talking to somebody and they're like, mm-hmm, 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 uh-huh. Or have you ever talked to somebody and they look past your shoulder to see if somebody else cooler just walked into the room? It doesn't happen to me because I'm the coolest person in the room. But has that ever happened to you? It is. You know what it makes you do? It makes you feel non-existent. It makes you feel less. It lowers your worth in those moments to not have somebody's attention or availability. I wonder how God feels in our lack of attention. Broken, sad, and non-existent. When we started this church many, many months ago, a handful of years ago, uh, in my living room, we started with six people. Some of them are still here today in this room. And what we wanted to do as those six people said, we want this church to start, yes, in prayer, but more than that, we wanted to start with listening. We want to listen to God. And this is something that we've hoped has dripped in well to our, our prayer culture, our, our activity culture with God of how we relate to God. What we've encouraged is before, prayer, before the prayer onslaught, and this is good for us individual prayers as well, before, before our prayer onslaught of tasks, worries, demands, and disappointments, Listening guides us away from our own inner chaos and inner wants towards a voice that is not our own. We slow ourselves down and say, we're going to listen. So what we encourage in listening prayer, what I would encourage all of us to do, is to start every prayer with, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then listen. Start every interaction with God saying, what would you have me pray for? 
Start an attentive silence where the heart makes its request available to God's request. God, I want to pray your request. And then as Eli said, after your prayer, go lie down. In other words, watch and wait. I feel like some of us sometimes get caught in this wheel of like, God, I really want this to happen. Amen. Where is it? Watch, wait, go lie down. Be patient, be still. Be patient, be still. Go lie down. So I want to end with this. I've been struggling this whole week with how to drive this point home. Not how to listen, but true, uh, a truer why to listen. That longing, that pining. To make a case so that when Forrest leaves this room today, he's not going, oh, cool, I have no techniques. When Forrest leaves the room today, he goes, all I want to do is before the presence of God. And for me, what I found most inviting to that is to remember that God is waiting beyond and in our words to just bask in our attention. The only reason I could stand up here and spout out ideas like attention and availability is because that is exactly what God gives us fully. God is never distracted when we are with him. God is never distracted at all. We should find great comfort that God is not sleeping, that God doesn't have the attention span of a moth. God is not, and let me say this, God is not angered then by our distractions. I think some of us beat ourselves up when we're prayer and all of a sudden like, Lord, I love you. How is Bruce Wayne so rich and yet at the same time, what is... <laughs> God is not emo over our mind wandering. Yeah, fine, fine, fine. If you want to think about that, forget you. No, 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 no. God is so much closer than our own breath, his spirit of truth abiding deep down. And he is infatuated with you and wants you to feel known. And he wants you to feel listened to. He wants you to feel work. He wants you to feel as if you exist. So what we all long for as far as feeling known and feeling heard by others and the validation of that in community, God is like, come before me and you will have every second of my attention. Collective, he loves your presence. He loves your attention, your time, even when he gets distracted. So listening starts with knowing, true knowing, and that starts with faith. So this morning, I want us to encourage, I want to encourage you to test the authenticity of the voice of his words. And do you know the best way to test God's words or the authenticity of them? Act upon them. Act upon them. Today, we're going to give you three ways to act upon them. Communion. Christians, this is for you. For some of you, this could be your last communal communion gathering for the rest of the year. That's a crazy thought. Then take it together with assurance that God loves your attention and your availability so much that he made a permanent way in Christ for you to listen and come near. So nothing will ever get in the way again. That's what communion reminds us of. Singing, of course, is another way to act upon it, that I will worship even in the midst of hard circumstances. We have carpets. You can come kneel, raise your hand, stand in the back, sing loud. And then lastly, I just want to encourage this prayer. There's people going to be on that wall and people on that wall with yellow lanyards. For some of you, again, this might be your last time you ask for somebody to pray for you in 2018. 
What if you made your prayer request, God, make my 2019 a year of full attention and obedient availability. What if we made that prayer every day? May we end this year, end this Christmas, end the service, beckoning our God the same way Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Amen? You pray with me?